Welcome to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. Let's bow our heads. Let's have one more word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to come to you this morning thanking you, Father, for waking us up today. Thank you, thanking you, Father, for giving us another day of life, another opportunity, Lord, to come closer to you. And Father, we come before you, Lord, sinful, imperfect human beings. We need you, Lord. This is why we're here. Because we realize that without you in our lives and without you in our hearts, Father God, we know, Lord, how sinful we can be. And Father, we want to be freed from sin and we want to be freed from the things, Lord God, that separate us from you, Lord. And we need your help, Lord. As the Spirit of Prophecy says, we can't even say to you, Lord, we give you our hearts because we're too weak to even do that. We have to say, Lord, take our hearts. And this morning, Father, Lord, we pray that through your Spirit, we may hear your word, Lord. It may convict us in our hearts, Lord, and it may encourage us, Lord, to leave here changed. Please be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. I want to share something very encouraging with you this morning. Um, For those who were here a month ago, uh, when I did the last um, presentations uh, about four weeks ago, it was quite challenging, wasn't it? It was a very challenging message. This one's still challenging, but it's also very encouraging. And I want to share this with you because it's something I've come across recently, something that really touched my heart personally, and I, I pray that it touches each one of you here this morning. And what we're going to look at is we're going to focus a lot on 1 Corinthians 12, but before we go there, I want to just go to 1 Corinthians 14 because I want to outline an issue that Paul had found in the church of Corinth that he was dealing with at the time. Now, we know that Corinth was a very important church. It was located in a very important place. It was known also as a port city. There was a lot of traffic that went through Corinth. And the church that was established at Corinth was a very important church because it served as a great witness to all the people that would pass through that city. And this was shortly uh, after what had happened at Pentecost that the church in Corinth had been established. And there was a specific issue in that church, which is an issue of which we still suffer from today within Christianity. And we'll look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 to get an idea of what this issue is. We hear Paul here say, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, according to these verses, and we can continue down 1 Corinthians 14, we see that Paul is dealing with a specific issue here in the church of Corinth. Do we see what this issue is? Tongues. It's an issue of tongues. But it's not just an issue because in the sense that they have the gift of tongues. Because when we read the Bible, we read the book of Acts, we see that the gift of tongues is an actual gift from the Spirit. Amen? We see that it's a real 
gift and it's an important gift. But one of the issues that we see here in the words that Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is that the gift of tongues was an issue at the church in Corinth because it seems as though they were putting a greater emphasis on that gift than other gifts. He's saying, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Prophecy is actually more important, he's saying, to the church in Corinth. And when we look at this issue of the gift of tongues, of this issue of putting more emphasis on one gift than another, we actually realize and see that this is not a new issue. This is actually an issue in which we continue to see happening today within Christendom. You know, there's actually up to 40 denominations right now within Christendom that would say and that believe with all their heart that if your church has this gift of tongues or that if you in particular have the gift of tongues in the way they interpret it to be, they say that that is evidence that it is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So the person or the church that has the gift of tongues is evident that the Holy Spirit is among them. Have we heard of anything like this? We know that this is a serious situation in some churches and this is exactly what they believe. Now, we see that the same way that it's popped up into Christianity today is very similar the way that it happened in the church of Corinth because what actually happened was this. Let's look at a little bit of history. This whole idea of tongues in the way that it is being taught today in some churches is actually an idea that came into Christianity, interestingly enough, in the way that it, you know, we see it today, in the 1800s, actually around 1844. And the reason why it actually came in was it came in as a response to spiritual lethargy. You see, there were people that were going to church back in the, in, in the 1800s and they would go to church and in church when they sung the hymns, this, the hymns were like sung like, like they were at a funeral. There was no power, there was no joy, it was just mundane. They went to Sunday school or Sabbath school classes and, and they found that there was no meat in what was being taught in those lessons. When it came to do outreach and evangelism, people weren't, wouldn't even turn up. They didn't want nothing to do with it. When they came to church and they heard the sermon, there was no power behind the sermon. There was no conviction behind the messages that were being taught. And people were saying, there's something going on here. We need to do something about this. So they started looking at the Bible and they started looking into the New Testament. And they looked at the book of Acts in particular because they see that something powerful and amazing happened. In the book of Acts, where we see the story of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, that after the experience that the apostles and and all of the disciples and all of these people had in the book of Acts, that from that moment on, the word and the gospel spread throughout the world like wildfire. And they started thinking, what's happened to us? We're almost dead. We need to go back to this experience and when they came to the book of Acts and they studied and they saw what happened, they came across something very interesting. Guess what it was? Tongues. They saw that after the Holy Spirit had come, after it had filled the apostles, that they started speaking in tongues. So they started thinking that this was an important thing. And then it got combined with something called spiritualism. Do we know what spiritualism is? 
Spiritualism is basically everything that we believe as Christians, just take God out of the picture. It's being able to, you know, get spiritual and be spiritual. And it is talking about and trying to access the spiritual realm. But there's no God. And spiritualism is closely connected to something else called mysticism. Do we know what mysticism is? Mysticism is the idea of how am I drawing near to God, but it does it in a way that it says that you must have a type of emotional or experiential type experience with the supernatural to show evidence that you are actually getting closer to God. Now, when we think of this, when we think of this emotional, this experiential type of thing that happens and we combine it with the gift of tongues, it's not a coincidence that when we look at these churches that emphasize the gift of tongues as evidence of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, that there are other things that go on in that church as well. Have you ever seen those videos where the preacher stands up the front and it's almost like he's holding a hidden fireball in his hand? And he just wants to throw it at someone. And he stands from the front and he'll throw it. And as soon as it apparently hits the person, what happens to that person? They fall on the floor and they start shaking. And this for them, this experience, it's a very emotional for a lot of them because they get up from these things crying. This type of emotional, experiential thing that happens to them, for them, it is evidence that something supernatural just happened. But what they don't realize, it's actually spiritualism and mysticism mixed with error that is making them believe that this is how one needs to get closer to God. And what mysticism also teaches are things like chanting. And there are also groups of mystics that will tell you to spin around in one circle for an hour. And after spinning around in a circle for an hour, what do you think starts to happen? When the blood starts rushing and you start to hallucinate, you start to get dizzy, you start to see things. And this experience for them as well is evidence that they're getting closer to God. Interesting thing about this is that when these things were kind of connected within Christianity, it actually came through an interesting group. Has anybody heard of the Jesuits? Now, it's interesting for me, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to be preaching about the Jesuits here this morning, uh, even though I have, you know, I could talk about them for quite a while. One of the things that was interesting to me was that when the first Pope, who, you know, a lot of Adventists have been speaking about recently, especially this week, uh, and him going to America to address Congress, that when the, fir- the Pope was elected and it was said all over the news, the first Jesuit Pope, a lot of people didn't budge. They didn't even think it was a big deal interesting this idea of spiritualism and mysticism combined with christianity actually first gained ground in the church through the jesuit order by a man named ignatius loyola now i'm half spanish and because of that when I first came into the church and I, I started to learn a lot of the things that, that, that um, are taught in some circles within Adventism, and I, I came across this group of the Jesuits, and I studied the founder, Ignatius Loyola, and I realized that he was a Spaniard. 
and I'm half Spanish. My father's Spanish from Spain, and, and I got curious, and I, th- I said, I want to dig in. And I digged in, and I looked a little bit further into this man, into his life, into the place where he lives. And one of the interesting things that I found is in that same town where he grew up, he had a very interesting nickname. Do you know what they used to call him? This is the man who founded the Jesuit order. And for those who don't know, the Jesuit order was a group that was basically created with one purpose in mind. After the Protestant Reformation had started and it started gaining momentum and people were leaving in droves from the Catholic Church, this group, this order was put together with one purpose and one mission, which was to bring everybody back under the control of the papacy at all means necessary. Now, it was founded by this man called Inexius Loyola. And the interesting thing was that in his town where he, was, where he grew up, he was known as the wizard. Now, do you know why he was known as the wizard? Because it's a very known fact where he grew up, if you ask people from his area, that everybody knew that this was a man who was into black magic. He was into this mysticism and all of these things. And what they did was they said, this spiritual realm... What we're going to do is this whole getting closer to God in the mystic type way, we're going to put Jesus at the end of it now. So instead of as normal mystics would just be on a journey to get closer to the spiritual realm, they said, we'll put Jesus there. And they started introducing these things, tongues, and and they started seeing these things as way and these emotional and these, these experiential type experiences as a way to get closer to Jesus. They put the label and name of Jesus on it, and one of the manifestations of this was speaking in tongues, and they called it glossolalia, which is from the Greek word, lalia to speak and glossa tongue. Now, why am I speaking about these things? When I look at these groups, especially those in the 1800s that went out of their way to try to, to go back to Pentecost and try to go back to a point in time in history where the church was on fire because when they came to church they saw a dead church I almost have to admire them and it's a it's it's a sad reality that they went the wrong way it's a sad reality that they started putting the emphasis on the wrong things but the whole reason that they were moving in that direction was because inside of them they just didn't want to go through the motions When they came to church on the weekend, they just didn't want to sit there and be a pew warmer. They weren't happy with coming to church, singing hymns like they don't even mean it, hearing what they would consider to be boring sermons with no power, with no conviction. They wanted something more. And they believed that the gift of tongues provided that. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, why am I speaking about tongues this morning when my sermon is not even about tongues? It's because what I want to bring out is I want to bring out the point that there are groups within Christianity that put a greater emphasis on some spiritual gifts above others. And when we look at tongues, that's one of the most easiest examples that we have because we know that any church that speaks in tongues will tell you that that is the most important gift. That that is how the Holy Spirit is manifested through that gift. And we as Seventh-day Adventists, we look at a church like that and we say, no, you're wrong. 
But I want to submit to you this morning that we as a church do exactly the same thing. Where we put a greater emphasis on some spiritual gifts over others. Let's look at what 1 Corinthians 12 says. Paul writing to the church in Corinth here again. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what version of, of, of the Bible you're using at the moment while you're reading this, but I can guarantee one thing. Whatever version it is that you're reading, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the word gifts is in italics. Am I right? Do you know why that is? That adds there because it was actually added by the translators. It's not in the original. But why it was added is an, impo- is an interesting thing. It's because... You know, and as you read the rest of the chapter, you will see it is suitable for that word to be there because that's what Paul is speaking about in this chapter. Spiritual gifts. Now, according to what Paul has just said in these verses, how do you know if a person has the Holy Spirit? The Bible says, again, in verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. So one clue is the person that has the Holy Spirit doesn't do what? Call, blaspheme or call Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now this is an interesting thing to note because what I get from these verses is that in order for me to know if I have the Holy Spirit or somebody has the Holy Spirit, it's not necessarily based on a certain gift they do or do not have, but it is based on their relationship to Jesus. Can we see that? Because the person who has the Holy Spirit is a person who loves Jesus, is a person who's close to Jesus, is a person who says, Jesus is Lord. Not just Lord, but Lord of my life. Is a person who doesn't talk bad about Jesus, is a person who uplifts Jesus Christ. This is a person who has the Holy Spirit. But let's keep reading, verse 4. Look what he says here. There are diversities of gifts. But the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, one of the things that Paul is trying to do here, if we see it, he's trying to bring unity among diversity. Right? Diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. A diversity of gifts, but there's one spirit. So he's trying to bring unity among diversity. Now, interesting thing that that term unity in diversity is actually where we get the word university from. And this is one of the reasons why philosophy exists, you know. Greek philosophy set itself out to ask the question, how do you find unity amongst diversity? How do you find a commonality amongst all these things that are different? That's why when you go to university, you actually see all those who have been to uni know that there is a major of study, right? You end up having a major of study and it's in order to bring unity amongst the diversity of classes that you have. University. Unity in diversity. 
But I want us to look again at verse 4 and really, really look at what, he's, what the Bible is saying here in verse 4. It's saying there are many different gifts. Can we see that? There is a diversity of buts. What does the word but mean when it's put in the middle of a sentence? It means, look, what I've just told you is important, but pay attention to what I'm going to say now. Everything I've told you up to this moment is important, but this is something you really need to pay attention to. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirits. Now, this is so important, church, because the, realize, the, the reality is, is that as we were talking about just previously about the churches that put the gifts of speaking in tongues as something more important, or they're putting it above other gifts, and they're saying that this is a, a higher gift in order to um, prove that you have the Holy Spirit, and we know that that's wrong, we as Seventh-day Adventists today still do the same thing, but we don't do it with tongues. I'll give you a couple of examples. The first one, preaching. We're a blessed church. We have some great speakers in our church, amen? We have the Doug Bachelors and and all of these amazing presenters, powerful speakers. And sometimes we sit in church or we watch 3ABN, or we watch the videos and DVDs, and we see these powerful preachers speaking, and they're preaching in such a powerful way, and we may sit there and believe in our hearts that because God is using them the way they are, and the way that they're preaching and talking and sharing the gospel with others is so powerful and so amazing and so great that we sometimes believe in our hearts that they have a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit shown in their lives because of what they're doing. The preacher. It's an interesting thing because this is something myself, and and this is why I wanted to share this with you this morning, because this is an experience I've had. I've had the experience of looking at others and thinking, wow, There's something special about them. There's something great about them. Even ask myself the question, how come I can't do what they're doing? How come God doesn't use me in that way? And we see the preacher at the front and and the reality is, is that as a Protestant church, because during the Protestant Reformation, one of the things that changed in church was that the pulpit now became the center up the front at the church. And the greatest emphasis of the worship service was put on the sermon. So because the sermon, and we, we, it's happening this morning in church. What's the longest part of our worship service this morning? It's the sermon. And when we see that, we see, wow, that's so important. So the person who's doing that, they must be special, right? But see, the Bible tells me that there are many gifts But not just that, the most important thing is that it's the same spirit behind them. Let me give you another example, one that I've struggled with in the past. Right here at the front. I couldn't play an instrument if my life depended on it. I definitely can't sing. I'm not a talented singer. 
And I've looked at people in church playing the guitars and playing the piano and playing the violins. And I think to myself, wow, what an amazing gift. And I've heard people up the front sing. And we have got some amazing singers in our church. Amen. Some great singers. And we may sit there in the pews and we may think, man, these people, they got it. There's something they have that I don't have. Why can't God use me the way he's using them? But what I want us to realize this morning is that there is different gifts, but it is the same spirit behind each gift. That means, that means, brothers and sisters, that the person who does the bulletin every Sabbath is doing that bulletin by the same spirit as the person who's up the front preaching. That the person who is preparing potluck for the church to have fellowship on Sabbath is doing that by the same spirit as the person who's up the front singing a powerful song. That the person who has taken time during the week to pray for their congregation is doing that by the same spirit as the person who's playing the violin at the front or playing the piano. We need to stop putting this idea into our minds that because someone is gifted in one thing more than we are, that that is somehow evidence that there is a greater manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in their lives than mine. Because that's not biblical, brothers and sisters. It's not. Diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. The same God is behind, the same Lord is behind the evangelist that's preaching the the 24-part amazing prophecy evangelistic series than the person who has taken time to organize some of the brothers and sisters to come over to the house on a Friday evening care group to fellowship. It's the same Lord that's working through both. The same Lord who's working through the young people that go and go out and knock on doors is the same Lord of the person who might be afraid to speak to people, but they maybe get some glow tracks and maybe go on a bus or a train and just leave it on the seats for people to read. It's the same Lord working through all. It's the same spirit behind everyone. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. What gifts has God given us? Whatever they may be. What I want us to take home from this message this morning is that whatever gift God gave you, you need to be faithful to that gift. No matter what it is. Can you imagine the river said, I'm not the ocean, so I'm not going to flow. Or the plant said, the flower said, I'm not the big oak tree, so I'm not going to grow. The moon said, I'm not the sun, so I'm not going to shine. Can you imagine what kind of a church we would have if those who haven't been gifted with what they perceive to be the great gifts said, because I don't have that, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm not going to be a part of outreach. I'm not going to come to prayer meeting. I'm not going to host a care group. Can you imagine what would happen to the church? If we all of a sudden became more faithful with regards to the gifts that we've been given. Imagine how this church could grow. That's what we want, amen? 
We want the church to grow. But some of us sit here and just like what that river might have said or that plant might have said or the moon might have said, we sit in church and we say, well, I'm not the pastor, so I'm not going to get involved. I'm not a great preacher, so I'm not going to get involved. And sadly, because of that church, we're not growing in the rate that we should be. We're not. Verse 8, for, one, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of the spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Whatever it is that God has you doing, it's by the same Spirit. Through the same power, then those you might believe in your heart have a greater than you do. And let me tell you something. As a preacher who knows a lot of other preachers, sometimes, most of the time even, I could say, that those that are sitting in the pews, look, pews looking at this great speaker might not even realize that they're actually more faithful to God in their lives than the person at the front. Just because someone preaches well or sings well. Remember, evidence of the Holy Spirit is not based on what gift you have, but on your relationship to Jesus. And if you focus on your relationship to Jesus and you do whatever you can to get closer to Jesus, He can use you in a powerful way. Maybe even in a way that right now He can't use you. Because you're putting your focus on the wrong thing. Let me ask you something. Is there anything that a person with the Spirit cannot do? Is there anything that a person without the Spirit cannot do? Now, I know sometimes people like to get, you know, you know, they say, oh, you can't go drink beers with the Spirit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with regards to what God calls us to do. With regards to living our lives the way God calls us to live. Is there anything that a person with the Spirit cannot do? If you have the gift by the Spirit or from the Spirit, what is it that you can't do? Now let me ask you another question. How much are you doing? If we believe that a person with the Spirit, there is nothing that we cannot do, you need to ask yourself the question, what is it that you are doing? What are you doing? Do we really believe what the Bible says? One of our biggest problems as a church is that we don't have faith. We proclaim that we have faith, but we really don't. Because when God calls us to do something, especially something out of our comfort zone, oh no, I can't do that. Well, like Moses says, God, I can't go. What am I going to say to Pharaoh? I can't speak. Look at me, I can't even get my words right. What does God say? Go. I'll speak through you. Go. I will help you. Why did Moses go? 
He went because when God said to him, go, I will give you the words to speak. Moses believed him. He had faith. And I read a quote from one of Ellen White's quotes. It says, the Lord has signified that his work should be carried forward in the same spirit in which it was begun. The world is to be worn. Field after field is to be entered. The command given us is add new territory. Shall we not as a people by our business arrangements, by our attitude toward a world unsaved, bear a testimony even more clear and decisive than that borne by us 20 or 30 years ago? She's saying that God has given us a big work to do, but she's saying it's to be carried forward in the same spirit in which it began. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. The same Holy Spirit that was with the apostles at Pentecost is the same spirit that is available to you. The same spirit. What are we doing with the spirit? You see, one of the things I believe with all my heart now, after studying this more, is that some of us are only going to get gifts if we're willing to use those gifts and if we've already made a commitment to step out in faith and work for Christ. Some of us don't have the gifts that we could have because God knows if he gave them to us, he'd just be wasting that gift. And that's why we don't have the gifts. Recognize your gift. Be faithful and trust God. Now let me just pose something else to you. What if we recognize a gift and we know that God has given us a specific gift, but we feel like we're not getting the opportunity to use them, especially in the church. What do we do? Let's go to Acts 6. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. I'm going back to Sabbath school about three weeks ago now. It's probably one of my favorite um, lessons in this quarter. Do you remember a few weeks ago we did the, the lesson on Philip? Remember the Bible said that there was two Philips. The first one was the Philip that brought who? Nathaniel. Remember? Who did he bring Nathaniel to? To Jesus. But the lesson didn't focus or concentrate on that Philip, did it? It focused on Philip number two, who was known as Philip the evangelist now let me ask you a question what's an evangelist what do we think of an evangelist as being do we believe evangelist is someone that has a gift look what it says in Acts 6 starting at verse 1 now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their windows were neglected in the daily distribution then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5. And they, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and who? Philip, Philip the what? Philip the evangelist. 
Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, I want to bring out something important here that we see that's happening here. And this, for some people, there are things in the Bible that for some people just stand out more than others. Based on your experience, based on, you know, the way God has used you, your walk with Christ, whatever it may be. When I was reading this, and what we're going to read in a second, something just struck me. You see, the Bible refers to Philip as the evangelist. Now, I know I've said that like five times already, but I want you to understand who Philip was. He was an evangelist. He was a person who God had an experience with Jesus and God had called to the ministry. But God hadn't called Philip to be a pure woman, no. God had called Philip to be one who proclaims the gospel. God had been called Philip to be a preacher, to be one who goes out and shares Jesus with others. A person who's not still. A person who is active. Philip the evangelist. But all of a sudden, there arises, uh, arises a problem in the church of Jerusalem where they're, they're seeing that these widows, they're not being attended to. So those who feel like they're the leaders of the church, the apostles, they get together and say, look, it's not all right for us to do this because, you know, we've been given a a higher um, responsibility. So let's find some men, some good men, some faithful men to sort out this problem for us. And they find a group of men. Among those men is Philip the evangelist. And the interesting thing is, is for those who studied that lesson a few weeks ago, is that that day, the lesson for that day that was talking about this, it it was called waiting on tables. Do you remember? Waiting on tables. So here the church, the leaders of the church, they come to Philip, a man who has been, you know, obviously called by the Lord to do great things. And they say to him, Philip, we want you to wait on tables. How would Philip, how do you think Philip felt? Think about it. God has called him to be something much bigger, much greater than a table waiter. But the church comes here and they say, Philip, we need you to do this for us. Now, according to what we read in scripture, Philip's reaction was, yes. If that's where the church needs me, that's what I'll do. He did it happily. And the Bible says that then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem because there were certain men like Philip who God had called to do great things who when they were given something that maybe they didn't like. Now, we need to see, understand this a little bit. Have you ever had an experience in church where you've been given a position, a role, an office or something in which you turn around and say, man, I can do much more than this. Why are you putting me here? That's never happened? Let me tell you an, ex- uh, an experience of why I say this. Just under five years ago when I had my encounter with Jesus and he changed my life. I knew straight away. I felt it burning in my heart. That God did not do what he did for me. And the the experience that I had with Jesus. That he didn't come into my life and radically change my life. And literally save my life in order for me to be a pew warmer. I knew that wasn't going to happen. There was a burning desire within my heart to share Jesus with others. I had to do it. I had no training. 
I hadn't gone to any college. But I knew that God had called me to preach. I could feel it. I had to beg my pastor, pastor, please. I don't know why, but God just is telling me I need to preach. I want to share Jesus. The pastor, he took his time a little bit, but eventually gave me a preaching spot. And I preached my first sermon. And then I got another one. And then I got invited here. And I started to get invited and I started to realize, man, this is, this is what God has called me for. I know it. And then shortly after this, we had a church business meeting at my church. And we were planning for the year. And God had put it in my heart to do an evangelistic series. Never done one before. But God was calling me to do it. I put my hand up because one of the things that, you know, was asked that we had to do that year was an evangelistic series. I put my hand up that I may be a presenter or at least one presentation, something. I just wanted to be a part of it. You know what I got told? You're not qualified to do that. Sit down. We want you to do this. Do you know how that felt? That hurt. That really hurt. I sat down. I didn't know what to say. God's calling me to do this. But my church is saying, no, we don't see it. You're not qualified. We want you to do something else. Something important, yes, but I'm trying to bring out a point here. I'm not saying that some roles and positions in the church are more important than others. That's all what I'm saying. I'm talking about when God specifically puts a calling on your heart. And I had to make a decision at that moment. What am I going to do? Am I going to rebel? Am I going to fight about this? Am I going to try to force them to give me that position or that, 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 that um, opportunity? Or am I going to trust in God? Or am I going to trust the Lord? And I'm going to be faithful to what they want me to do. And I said, you know what? I'm going to trust God here. Because I know that God will open up the, the opportunity at the right time. So I said, okay. As much as it hurt, I said, okay. No problem. I'm going to fight. I'll do what you want me to do. You know what they had me doing at the thing? Greeting people at the door. Now at that point I thought, man, I should be preaching. Greeting people at the door. Now, I, time's running out, but I've got some testimonies of what happened at that door. Amazing things happened at that door. Friendships that were formed at that door. But I said, you know what, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to say, I'm going to do faithfully what it is God has called me to do. The reason why I bring this out is because look at what happens in Acts 8. Let's go over to Acts 8. Philip the evangelist who was clearly told and given the gift of preaching and sharing the gospel with others and teaching, faithfully did what God had called him to do at that time. And look what happens in Acts 8. We know that what ended up happening in Jerusalem was what? Persecution. And because of persecution, the church was dispersed. And Philip was one of these members that was dispersed. And he ended up in an interesting place called Samaria. 
Now, Samaria is an interesting place because the Samaritans were people that, yeah, we know that they didn't get along with the Jews, but they themselves actually believed that they were also, you know, descendants of Abraham. The Samarians. Look what it says in Acts 8, 4 to 8. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, then who? Philip, Philip the waiter. Or is it Philip the evangelist? Philip the evangelist went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city because of Philip. And I look at this story and I'm like, wow, this was a man who was obviously called by God to do great things. But there came a test, there came a point in his ministry where he was told, you know what, we need you to do this, Philip. And Philip could have made one of two choices. He could have fought against it. I hear so many stories of in church when nominating committee comes and people aren't given the title or the office or the place that they want. They um and ah, they jump up and down. They even fight. There are churches where they even fight because they're not happy because they're not trusting God because they're not trusting God. You think Joseph was happy when he went to Egypt? You think Daniel was happy when he was in the lion's den? You think the Hebrew boys thought it was great that they were going to get put into a furnace? But what did they do? They trusted God. Now we look at Philip, this man who obviously was put in a position doing something that he could have been doing more. He did it faithfully. And because he was faithful, God said to Philip, God knew I can use this man. Look at Luke 16. Let's go to Luke 16. We're going to wrap up. Why was it that God was able to use Philip in the way that he did? To the point where Philip did amazing things in Samaria. He was preaching. He was teaching. He was healing. There was joy in that city. Look at Luke 16. Verse 10. Are we there? Luke 16. Verse 10, who's speaking here? Okay. Jesus says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Jesus is giving us an important lesson here. He's saying, look, those who I know, because God knows our hearts, Jesus knows what we're like. Jesus knows where our thoughts are. Jesus knows what we feel about things. And he says that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. In other words, I can entrust much to the person that I know is faithful even in the little things. But when those people aren't faithful in the little things, I can't entrust them in the big things. And sometimes we come to church and we're not faithful. We know we're not faithful in the little things. And we sit there and we look at the preacher and we look at the singer and we look at all these amazing things and we're like, we want that. But the reality is God is saying, look, maybe I can give you that. But before I can trust you with that, I need to know that you're faithful in the little things. Because I believe with all my heart that God has called every single one of us here to do something great in the name of Jesus.
I believe that God has called every single one of us here to win souls for Christ. To make an impact in our community. To change our families. To help our friends. To save people that are dying. There's no power in the church. Could it be that one of the reasons is because we're not being faithful in the little things. Let's go to Matthew 25. Last verse I'm going to read. Matthew 25. As Christians, we we have a great hope that we know Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? 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 Jesus is coming back soon. And we know that those who are still alive when he comes back that are, that are in Christ, that are, have a relationship with Jesus, are going to be caught up in the clouds. And we're going with Jesus. We're going home. And we also know that if we don't live to see that day, but we've died in Christ, we know that we're also going to be resurrected and we're going to go home. And there are some specific words that we as Christians, you know, and those of us who know about these words, are words that we want to hear from Christ when we see him. There are words that we want to hear coming out of his mouth. There are words that we don't want to hear. We don't want to hear those words that say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. We don't want to hear those words. But there are words that we want to hear. And we're going to look at those words, but we're going to look at them again because there is almost like a condition on those words. Let's look at Matthew 25, 23. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. These are the words that every single one of us who make it to heaven want to hear these words from Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But look at what the verse says. You have been faithful over a few things. You have been faithful over a few things. Because of that, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy. Of our Lord. If we believe that no matter what it is we're doing or we've been called to do, how little or how big it may seem, that it is done by the same Spirit. And if we believe that there is nothing that we cannot do without the Spirit, we need to ask ourselves this morning what is it that we're doing? And if we have been given something little to begin with, And maybe we want something bigger, but the thing is, if you want something bigger, great. It's great that there is a desire in you to do big things for God. But God wants us, he wants to know that first we are able to be faithful with the little things. And the Bible tells us that it is those who are faithful with the little things that are going to hear those wonderful words from Jesus and are going to enter into his joy. Church, I want this church to be encouraged. I want this church to realize that when we leave here, the Holy Spirit is with us. Every single one of us. Doesn't matter what we're doing. And that if we're willing and if we're faithful, we can do so much more. This quarter has been about mission. And it shouldn't have just been stories that we hear and we think, oh, how wonderful. And we hear the stories of Sabbath school, you know, the mission stories. How wonderful. How wonderful what God is doing in in Tanzania or in South America or in China. How wonderful. What is God doing in Dora Creek? 
What is God doing here? Because there, I can see that there are many willing and able people in this congregation this morning. That have just realized that when they walk out there, no matter what it is they're doing, no matter how their outreach or their evangelism or whatever it is they're doing, that it is by the same spirit and with the power of the same Lord. The same spirit that was at Pentecost is available to you. The same one. What are we doing? I finish with a quote. Those who hear from the lips of Christ the words, Well done, good and faithful servant, will be heroic ministers of righteousness. They may never preach a discourse from the pulpit, but loyal to a sense of God's claim upon them and jealous of his honor, they will minister to the souls who are the purchase of Christ's blood. They will see the necessity of carrying into the work a willing mind, an earnest spirit, and a hearty, unselfish zeal. They will not study how best they can preserve their own dignity, but by care and thoughtfulness will seek to win the hearts of those whom they serve. Those who are going to hear those words of Christ, she says, they may never even preach a sermon. They may never sing a powerful song at the front. They may never play an amazing tune or melody or or hymn on the piano. But they'll still be there. Because the same spirit was behind them. Be encouraged, church. God can and wants to use you. And whatever it is that you're going through in your spiritual life, remember that we have an amazing, merciful God. We have a good God. Amen? We have a God who longs to be in a relationship with us. We have a God who the Bible tells us is going out of His way to save us. He is continually seeking out for us like His lost sheep. Like the lost coin. He's going out of his way. He's trying to do whatever he can to be with you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. If you call on Jesus today and you confess your sins to him today, the Bible says that he is faithful and just to not only forgive you, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to give you a new start. That's the God that we serve. Don't let the devil ever put you down and discourage you. From doing or being what God has called you to be. God, what can I do? Show me how I can be of use. If we don't ask these things, there won't be an answer. But I know from reading my Bible that when we ask these things with an honest heart, God answers and he does powerful things through his people. Let us be faithful brothers and sisters to that which God has already given us. And if it is His will, we will do greater and even bigger things in His name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank You for today. and We thank You, Father, for Your Word, Lord. We thank You, Father, when we hear Your Word and it, it rattles us, Lord. It makes us uncomfortable. It convicts us. It's Your Word that does this, Lord. Father, Lord, this morning we... We've realized or been reminded, Lord, that the same spirit is behind whatever it is that we're doing. That you want to use us in a powerful way wherever it is that we are. And that we have different gifts. We have different activities. We have different roles. We're not all going to be able to do the same thing. 
And if we all were doing the same thing, so many would miss out on all the other things, Lord. We pray, Lord, help us to be faithful in that which you've given us. And let us trust in you always, Lord. Knowing that if it is your will for us to do greater things, you will take us there. But before we can be faithful in big things, we need to prove that we're faithful in the little things. And our prayer is, Lord, that each one of us here become more faithful, Lord. So that one day, Father, when we're in front of you, we can hear those wonderful words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Thank you, Lord, Father, for being so good to us, Lord, for loving us the way that you do, for having the mercy and the patience, Lord, that you have with us. We thank you for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456. Our email address is radio at 3ABN ABN Australia, all one word, dot org dot au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc, PO Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. It's been our pleasure bringing you this program today here on 3ABN Australia Radio.